Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Good morning. We are going to pick up where we left off in Pathfinders a couple of weeks ago. So this will be a little different for for the rest of you. Uh, But I have a situation for you. I'm going to introduce you to Sleepy Sophia. Uh, You can read about her on the screen. I'll just read it out for you so that you're not all going at different paces. And then I'm going to give you a minute, 90 seconds, to discuss with your neighbor what do you want to say to Sleepy Sophia. You've been friends with Sophia since you met at a croquet tournament in year five at school and realized you're both Christians and both love Pokemon. Everyone loves Sophia. She does well at her work. She always gets picked to do stuff at church. She even got her picture in the local paper because she does so much recycling. But you've noticed she kind of avoids talking about Jesus sometimes. When she was asked about other religions, she just kind of changed the topic. She sort of seems to have a gift for saying what people want to hear. You're a bit worried about her. What might you say? 90 seconds, go. Okay, if I can just bring us back together, that's not long. I'm sorry, I've not given you long at all. Um, I don't know what you thought you might say to her. Um, I, want, <laughs> right. I wonder if what we just read in Revelation, when Richard read it to us, is what Jesus might say to sleepy Sophia. I mean, I don't know, she's not real. But it is certainly what he said to the church in Sardis in the first century, By his spirit, it's what he's saying to the church today. To Fullwood Church this morning, to us, right here, right now, grown-ups, grandparents, pathfinders. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches. And just check, do you have ears? Maybe you don't, but you have some way, I hope, of receiving this message. And if you can hear this message by whatever means, then we must hear Christ calling us out. In verse 1, Jesus is rebuking this church. He's calling them out as hypocrites, 
for our international brothers and sisters. I don't mean calling them up on the phone and suggesting a trip. I mean he is telling them off. He's criticizing them, rebuking them. He is exposing and uncovering their hypocrisy. So the angel of the church in Sardis writes, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. They appear one way, but they are another. They look like one thing on the outside, but they are different inside. Nathaniel appeared to be awake, but he was in fact asleep. And you'll forgive me for this, but we're talking about the church in Tardis. It looks one way on the outside. It is different on the inside. They look like they're alive. They have a great reputation. They have a great name. People think well of them. They are the church that other churches want to be like. The church that non-Christians like to hear from. They think they're doing a pretty good job themselves. Everyone thinks they're doing it right. Wrong. Jesus calls them out. This church is dead. Jesus is the one who holds the seven spirits and the seven stars. He knows what's going on. He can see what's really going on. His rebuke, his verdict is devastatingly brief. This church may have pleased people, but it does not please God. And these guys must have been blindsided. Be honest, if Jesus turned up here this morning in the flesh, he walks in, blinding light, bronze feet, sword mouth, we all fall over, the whole thing. Would we expect him to say this to us? Would you expect him to say it to you? To me? They weren't ready. Jesus is about to raise his voice to them for their own good and tell them they need to wake up. But, but how would we know if it were us? We're not told everything that's going on, but there are two things in these verses that tell us something of what it was like, okay? Uh, that we could look for in our own church, that we could look for in our own lives. And the first of these is most of them, not all of them, but most of them have soiled their clothes. Did you see that in verse four? A few of the, not, not yet, again for our international visitors, that means like figuratively your clothing is dirty, not anything else. Um, They've soiled their clothes. Verse 4, a few of them have not. By implication, the rest of them have. In the language of Revelation, having all these dirty clothes means, I take it, idolatry. Something or someone was more important to them than Christ. Maybe it was their reputation, their name. Whatever it was, Christ is calling them out. Uh, and secondly, most of them, have failed to acknowledge Christ before the watching world. Because in a minute, Jesus tells the few faithful Christians among them that he will acknowledge their name before his Father and the angels. That's verse 5. That's because they've acknowledged him. Jesus says in Matthew 10, he also says it in Luke 12. Let me read from Matthew 10. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before others, I will disown my Father in heaven. The church in Tardis followed Christ in name, but not in reality. In reality, they've disowned Christ, and he's calling them out on it. They want to call themselves Christians. They want to be Christians. But not if it's hard. 
and not if they suffer. Not if it will give them a bad name. Not if it means being passed over for promotion. Not if it means getting bullied at Tapton or not making friends at university. Not if it means a life of celibacy. Not if he's asking too much. It's been suggested that TARDIS is perhaps the birthplace of that great British institution, dare I say it, that great Anglican institution, nominal Christianity. Oh, shut up, Andy. Nominal Christianity can hardly be us. This is forward. We're enthusiastic. We've got a new building. We have carol services and youth clubs and Friday clubs. And we've got Peter and Janet Collier. And we do evangelism and all of these things. But this letter was written to a church that had a name for being the church. It was written down for the benefit of every church. And this is a danger, actually, at some level for every Christian. We are in danger together or individually, of being Christian in name only, of being only as Christian as our culture permits. This fake Christianity, nominal Christianity, it could look very, very different depending on where you live. In our country, or at least in our part of it, it could look like going along with the prevailing culture. You might have the name Christian, but you also want to support the introduction of gay marriage, or protect or promote abortion, or welcome the breakdown of biblical categories of sex and gender. But in another culture, where the prevailing wind blows in a very different direction, you might have the name Christian, but you also persecute gay people, or oppress women, or stigmatize and marginalize people who are confused or have gender dysphoria. And look, the fact that I am feeling, and you're feeling, and some of you are really, really feeling a bit uncomfortable about what I just said is a clue to us, isn't it? That we do need to listen, that we might be in danger, that this letter does have something to say to us this morning. I mean, this fake Christianity, this nominal Christianity could very easily look evangelical. It could look reformed. Maybe you've been at Fullwood for years. You know all the right doctrines. You have the right opinions. You've got the check shirt. You've got the crew clothing jumper. You serve on the youth team, or you might serve on the music team, or the student team, or the Friday club team. You're here every week, small group every week. You even go to prayer meetings. To the church family. To the world around you. Even to the face in the mirror, you're a great Christian. But only when it doesn't cost too much. exactly what a fake Christian looked like in TARDIS, I can't tell you, other than it looked close enough to the world around them to avoid persecution. And that's what it will look like here. So if we have ears, let us hear Christ calling us out and calling us back. Jesus raises his voice and he tells the church in TARDIS, wake up, verse two. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you've received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. This is urgent. Wake up. But hang on, just a little parenthesis. They're dead. Didn't we just hear they're dead? You don't tell dead people to wake up. Well, language is flexible enough, I think, here. Oh, man, you know, my phone is dead. 
it's on 1% battery. Do you see what I mean? Plug it in. Wake up. Watch out. Even if we're supposed to understand that they are dead already, that they're on no percent, well, think about who's speaking. Calling the dead to life is kind of his thing, actually. This is urgent. Wake up. They have a reputation for life, but they're dead, and they don't realize. They wrote the book on spiritual vitality, and they have no idea that they're spiritually flatlining. The fire is about to go out. The battery is about to die. The tank is almost empty. This situation is urgent. It is dire. We already heard in verse 1 that he knows their deeds. Now we're told he has found them unfinished. Literally, they are incomplete. Now that could mean that they left off at some point, that they got so far but went no further, but I don't think so. They have a reputation, don't they, for being the church. I think they're incomplete in the middle. It's visible, it's good on the outside, but the core, the center isn't there. Jesus sees inside. He sees what our faith is like behind the facade. He looks through the hype and sees the heart. These guys have a great reputation, a great name, but it doesn't go all the way down. It isn't really real. The inside is missing. But what do they do about it? How can they strengthen what remains? What does it mean to wake up, to watch out? Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Come back, says Jesus. Remember the gospel. Hold on to the gospel. Bring the gospel to mind. Let your heart sit in the gospel. Marinate yourself like you're a chicken in the gospel. And repent. Confess your sin. Every one of us is a sinner. Confess your idolatry. Every one of us is an idolater. Confess that we have denied Christ. That your name, that your reputation is a lie. Repent and come back to Christ. And this is the heart, the very core of the Christian message. Repent and be reconciled to God in Christ. Wake up. Watch out. Plug yourself in. Because otherwise, he says to the church in Tardis, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Jesus will come in judgment and this language Jesus has used about his ultimate return but here and all commentators agree it's an immediate threat Jesus will act in judgment on this church before the last day if they do not repent if they do not come back and I don't know what happened to them maybe they had no future maybe they ceased to be a church the church of England forward church I don't know but we do know that it will only ever, they will only ever be kept alive by the gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit in the life-giving message of Jesus, who died and rose again for us, by the grace and kindness of God our Savior. I mean, the institutions may last. They may continue to propagate themselves for centuries, but they'll no longer be a church. In the language of Revelation, their lampstand is in the bin. They may be totally unaware, blindsided by this. 
like a fossil that still thinks it's a diplodocus. It's extremely serious. It's a terrible warning. And all Christians everywhere, we must take it seriously. But the church in the West, the church in England, us, our church, we must listen very carefully, mustn't we? Because there is danger in our comfort. There is serious danger in our privileged situation. Does our desire for a comfortable life give way to the lie that Christian living can accommodate comfort without compromise? Have we believed that we can enjoy the goodwill of the world around us and the goodwill of our Lord and Savior? And I don't mean, and I don't expect that faithfully following Christ automatically entails everyone hating you all the time. But if it's never hard, if it never involves a cost, if it's never awkward at school, if there's never an awkward moment at work, I mean, have we ever said or caught ourselves thinking, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't think that, or I do think this, or I'm not one of those Christians, out of a desire to fit in? A desire to be thought well of by the people around us, by our culture? Because I wonder if no one ever objects to the name of Christ that we profess. It's just hard to believe that it's the Christ we read about in the Bible. Christ is calling us out. He's calling us back. He does not want us to sleepwalk to disaster. And he's calling us by name. Picking up again in verse 4. He says, Yet you have a few people in Sardis who've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. Not everyone in Tardis is dead. There are a few people, literally a few names, who have not bowed the knee to idols. They've not soiled their clothes. That's not suggesting that they're perfect, but Christ and not comfort, Christ and not reputation was Lord in their hearts. And Christ promises them three things. Okay, three things. The first, they're said to be already, and they will be in the future, dressed in white. It's a symbol of purity, of belonging to Christ, of the righteousness they enjoy in him. Secondly, their names will never be blotted out. This letter is alarming. This is heavy stuff, and any Christian, but especially a Christian with a tender conscience, or a young Christian, or a Christian who is young, they may panic, they may feel, oh, I'm lost, when they're not. Jesus is saying to these Christians, don't worry, you're safe with me, I won't lose you. You put your faith in me, you're safe with me. I died for you, I suffered for you. I'm not going to let you go when you're suffering for me. And thirdly, if Christ is Lord, if you acknowledge him before the watching world, he will call you by name too. He will acknowledge you before his Father and the angels. And these three things, they're held out as a promise and a comfort to the struggling Christians in a body that is largely dead. The faithful remnant should be emboldened. These promises should strengthen what remains in the church family, help them to hold on 
in a world that would drag them under with wave after wave of comfort and compromise and convenience that would spiritually sink them, keep them spiritually awake in the fog of a culture that demands not just conformity to, but celebration of its values. Now the enemy would have us believe that spiritual zeal, that passion for Christ and for the lost is just somehow not really appropriate. That spiritual fervor, that a high spiritual temperature is just unseemly, it's un-British. Be Christian, of course, but don't take it too far, don't get carried away. And I don't mean just someone who's always emotionally on a high and they wave their arms and they get overexcited. Um, That's a personality thing. I mean that settled, deep conviction, the profound, life-changing confidence that Christ is Lord, hell is real, and the gospel is powerful to save. The Spirit is at work in the church today. And that works its way out in how we live and speak in all of our lives, every day. And so as we finish, let's ask. This problem of TARDIS Christianity, fake Christianity, nominal Christianity, what doesn't it look like? Yeah? What doesn't it look like? What does it look like for us to hear Christ calling us out, hear him calling us back, to be those he calls by name? Imagine a church family where our dreams and ambitions for our children and teenage, pathfinders, I'm looking at you, yeah, is not that they would grow up and get married, but that they'd grow up and be missionaries. Not that they would live successful lives, but sacrificial lives. Not that they would grow their fortune, but their faith. And I know, parents, I know, I know, I know, we can't help but want both for them, of course we do, but if we had to choose, if we could have only one, Do we want them to love Christ no matter the cost? Do we want grandkids or godliness? Imagine a church where faithful, celibate, same-sex, attracted Christian brothers and sisters were praised and not pitied. Where they were thriving in the life of the church, not just surviving in it. Where they were properly mingled in to our life together, not marginalized. Where, where the celibate lifestyle that Christ himself pursued was not considered second best. Imagine a church where for every week we spent out in the world being ridiculed or ignored or rejected for our faith, there were, across the church family, a few friends who said, can I come to church with you? That, that small group you mentioned, that Hope Explored course, because my life's not okay. Imagine a church where we cared more about the lost and about our own reputation, where we cared more for faithfulness to Christ than for fitting in. And I, we want to be part of that church where we hear Christ calling us out. And look, there's no doubt in my mind that I personally have plenty in common with the church in TARDIS. And I strongly suspect that we all do. I want to be part of a church that hears him calling us out hears him calling us back and where we hear Christ calling us by name.
that will not be possible for us in our own strength. And, and we're going to respond now by singing. So if I could invite the band to come back. We're going to sing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.